Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Glad you're joining us. I don't know how many of you that are married. Your husband took that approach to uh, decide when to pop the question or not. Um, but at least he did it, right? However, he came, <laughs> came about that. This is the final week in our series called Divine Direction. And today's topic is faith to start. I want to start with a couple of common sense statements, if you will. The first one's this, to step towards something new, you have to step away from your norm. You have to step away from your security. You have to step away from um, uh, your comfort zone, we would say, to start something new. And that's not always easy. And then you have to start. So it's often the start that, uh, that stops us. You can, whether it be something big or small, whether it's something like uh, our finances. Uh, we're going to teach a finance class next year probably, and some of your finances are out of control, according to statistics, most of us. <laughs> and um, so if you take a financial class, you have to start by actually doing some of the things. And there are steps and to what's the first step and what's the second step. And if you don't start, if you don't do the first step, you're never going to get to the second step. It may be something involving uh, diet or exercise. Uh, it's easy to say, well, I'll start, I guess now we'd say, after the holidays. <laughs> uh, and then after the holidays, there's another reason. The start is often what stops us. So the conclusion we, you would come to is this. You'll never finish anything if you don't start. Now, what's the best time to start? Well, the best time, assuming as you can, is now. It's not to wait to the first of the year to work on your finances or your, your health or your relationship or whatever it might be. So we're going to look at a guy from the, in the Old Testament. His name is Nehemiah. And we're going to look at some of the things he did. We're also going to kind of review what we talked about last week at the same time. So, Nehemiah lived in Babylon. He was a Jew. What happened was 140 years before the account we're going to look at, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The, the most uh, young and brightest Israelites were carried off to Babylon. All right. About 70 years later, some of them went back to Jerusalem. And then 70 years later, we come up with the incident we have today. Uh, Xerxes is the king, and Nehemiah is serving the king. So, let's pick it up in the third verse in the first chapter. At this point, Nehemiah's brother and some other folks had left Jerusalem and came back and gave him a report. And here's what they said. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. Been 70 years. Things still aren't going well. They're in great trouble and disgrace. What's the trouble? The walls of Jerusalem had been torn down back 140 years ago, and the gates had been destroyed by fire. Now, we don't think it's a big deal, but that was their security. They didn't have a police force or whatever. So you lived inside the town. You had walls and gates to protect you. So they were without protection. And the temple had been destroyed and not rebuilt, so there was disgrace. You know, their God hadn't allowed them to, or they hadn't been allowed to rebuild the temple, the place of worship. 
So what is Nehemiah's response to this? Well, the text tells us. <clears throat> when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted. We have a term for this. <laughs> it's on your outline. He had a divine burden. There was something going on that he couldn't let go of. He couldn't say, that, that's not okay. Somebody needs to do something. Something has to change. Uh, and again, it was a burden. He, he wept and he fasted. Um, so what's significant to us when we talk about divine direction is your divine burden often reveals your divine direction. Um, talked about Operation Christmas Child. <clears throat> Actually, it was um, Franklin Graham. Back in the 90s, there was this war going on in Bosnia, and he said there was lots of children there that have a need. And so he spoke to a pastor in North Carolina and asked if he could put some boxes together for these children in Bosnia. Several thousand boxes this one church put together and is blown to, up to, I think, with close to a billion boxes have been given out over all the years between then and now. Uh, Franklin Graham got a burden. Um, doesn't have to be huge like that. Um, Holly does the daycare here. She had a burden for the kids in Smithsburg having a place, for parents have a place for their kids, safe, a good safe place. And so now there's this child care in two places. Um, it could be something personal for you. <clears throat> for me, of course, it was back a long time ago when I had this burden not only to preach the gospel, but also to share it in another country. And we were missionaries for, for some time. It might be a burden uh, for children. Um, we did uh, foster care at one time. I, we couldn't foster care all the kids, but we could foster care some of the kids. Now we do uh, adult foster care. Um, God gives us all burdens for certain different things. I don't know if softball is a burden, <laughs> but we have someone who has a softball ministry. Um, <clears throat> so, your burden often reveals the direction God wants you to go. Now, we talked about last week, you're trusting God's process. So, we used the term last week, spirits prompting. Divine burden. Paul used the word compelled by the spirit. This is something you just can't let go of. It's not fair. It's not acceptable. Uh, Something needs to change. So what do you do on your outline when you have this kind of burden? What did Nehemiah do? Well, first thing he did was he took it to God. Let's read that verse again. I heard this. I sat down and wept. For days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So I didn't want to take up the space on your outline for the prayer, but I thought I'd read you a prayer. Some of you don't know how to pray or you feel like you don't know how to pray. Well, one thing you can do is you can pray prayers that are in God's Word. You also can pray Scripture, verses in God's Word. So let me read you his prayer. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day 
for your people Israel. I confess, confession is a good part of prayer, necessary part. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We all have sinned, right? We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, regulations that you gave to our, your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. That's exactly what happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are ex exiled to the end of the earth, which probably seemed like <laughs> we're in Babylon, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And so, he prayed. Now, Nehemiah had a job. He had a job working for the king. He's called the cupbearer. You know what the cupbearer's responsibility was? Kind of a cushiony job, except for one kind of difficult caveat. You tasted the wine before the king got to drink the wine. Now, why would you do that? Because if somebody was trying to poison the king, they would poison you instead of the king. That's a pretty severe caveat, right? Fortunately for Nehemiah, it never happened. So he's in the king's presence every day, and he's a Jew. And so the king uh, says to him one day, hey, Nehemiah, now, it wasn't the next day. I always kind of had in my mind, I thought it was the next day. Uh, they came in late fall, his brother, to give him the report, and as we read the text, it's going to be early spring when he talks to the king. So several months have gone by. And the king says, why are you upset? You're usually not upset. And he said, well, the text says he's, he's afraid to tell the king. Uh, most powerful person in the world. Uh, but he says, okay, he prays. and says, okay, um, I'm a Jew. And as you know, some of uh, my homeland is in, in Judea. And Jerusalem's the capital, and it, it, it's in ruins. And it, it, it's a burden to me. I, I'm sad about this. I wish, we, you know, it was different. And the king says, well, what can I do to help? I'm the most powerful person in the world. How can I help? And he said, well, if you really want to help, would you allow me to go back and supervise rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now, we have no idea that he has any skills with building walls, which is interesting about your burden. It doesn't necessarily something that you know how to do or that you're good at. And then he says, okay. He asked him how long you're going to be gone. The text doesn't say his answer. We're going to find out how long he was gone. But evidently, it was acceptable to the king. And then he said, oh, well, by the way, can you send... Uh, Letters of authority and recommendation. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, can you provide uh, lumber for building the gates? And, uh, oh, by the way, can you have some soldiers escort me all the way? It's 850 miles. Anyway, the king granted all of this. So on your outline, when God gives you a burden, it's because he trusts you 
to do something about it. He trusted Frank and Graham to start the shoebox ministry. He trusted Nehemiah to do something about the walls in Jerusalem. And when you have a divine burden, God's trusting you to do something about it. Not alone, necessarily, but to do something. So we're going to break this down into the three points. How do you do something big? Because this is a huge task, right? We've been to Jerusalem, <laughs> the big walls. But rebuild them, it's just, even today it seems like a big task. And so the king gave him authority. So he started small. Started with authority from the king. Then he traveled. Not such a small thing, but he traveled to Jerusalem. Now, when he gets to Jerusalem, what's he do? Well, let's read this verse first. Sometimes we think God's not concerned about small things. Uh, Zechariah is talking about the temple. Do not despise these small beginnings. Everything starts with the first step, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So he rejoiced when Samaritans first started in the 90s, and he rejoiced in the fact that Nehemiah pursued his burden. Now, illustration, those who had children. <laughs> when you're, before your children began walking, and the first day that they actually took a step, someone's described it as a drunken Frankenstein. I thought, that's a beautiful uh, way to describe it. Now, when you took, kids took that first step, what did you do? Did you scold them? Did you insult them? Did you say, you're stupid? You can't walk properly? You can't walk more than one or two steps? No. How did you feel? And we've, had, we've got four children. We've experienced it four times. You're elated, aren't you? Because they took the first step. The small beginning. And eventually he took another step and another step. And eventually he learned how to walk, right? So God is delighted when you and I pursue that burden and we take that first step. It may be shaky. It might not be great. But take the first step. So when he gets to Jerusalem, what's Nehemiah do? The, chapter 2, verse 12. I slipped out during the night, kind of secretly, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plan God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. So he shows up, doesn't announce what his plans are, and he does a survey. Uh, he's traveled these 850 miles, um, kind of looks around, see what things are, uh, or how bad things are, uh, to really understand the task that was before him. That's important, right? And then he gathered the... Then he gathers the leaders of the town together. Here's what he says to them. You know very well what trouble we are in. It's obvious. The walls are destroyed. Jerusalem lies in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in this disgrace. It goes on. And then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on. come. He'd given me uh, resources. He's given me authority. He's given me soldiers to protect me. They replied, 
Let's rebuild the walls. So they began the good work. So it began with a one person's burden. It began with one person's vision, which is interesting to me. His brother had lived there. He didn't come up with the vision. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people living there. They didn't come up with the, the idea. They didn't have the burden. God gave the burden to this man 850 miles away. And he was faithful to pursue. So, on your outline, you don't have to have the faith to finish the job. Huge job, right? Who knows it would ever be finished? But he had the faith to take the first step to ask the king and then to travel and then to share his vision with other people. Notice, God doesn't give you all the details. God didn't tell Nehemiah about how many bricks he needed or stones he needed and mortar he needed and all the details. He just had a vision. And I got to think about this church. Um, somebody's here that was been here from the beginning. I don't know who had the initial vision for a church in Smithsburg. Uh, I do know somebody that lived here for 50 years and she was a Baptist from North Carolina and she wanted a Baptist church in Smithsburg and she prayed for one for 50 years. And she, once this church building was here, the church existed before that, but the building was here, she was able to attend just before she died. Actually, her daughter uh, still attends here. So I don't know who had that vision. I know there was a Bible study group that met in Smithsburg. I know a lady by the name of uh, Lillian. Um, she had a great burden for this. Um, she's no longer with us. She's gone to be with the Lord. Um, but we didn't have, and I came along pretty, pretty near the beginning. Um, but we didn't know the details. Smithsburg, where in Smithsburg? What piece of land? Or some existing building. Um, once we had land, what the building was going to look like. And we'd add it on multiple times. We had no clue about that. We had no clue about what this service would look like, these worship services would look like. And we had no clue who would be here and who wouldn't be here anymore, right? Didn't have the details. But that small group of people had the faith to start. Um, <clears throat> so last week we talked about uh, the uh, trusting God's process, right? So there was the burden or the, uh, the calling. Secondly, we talked about certain uncertainty. So whether it was Nehemiah about the walls needed to be built, or whether it was this group of people that a church needs, to, a Baptist church needs to be put in Smithsburg. Whatever it might be, they were certain of the calling, the certain of the vision, certain of the burden, but again, this, so much uncertainty. Where, when, how, etc. Right? Always think big. It's big to build, start a church and build a building to, for it to meet in. That's huge, right? Always think big, but you just need the faith to start, to start small. I told you the story a couple weeks ago when I accepted a call to be a, I felt a, a burden to be a pastor. And I went to my pastor and talked to him. 
He said, okay, here's, what you, here's where you're going to start. And it was Sunday, my teaching Sunday school, so teaching God's Word, teaching the Bible, to a group of middle school boys. Two of the boys were my brother and my cousin. Baptism of fire. Over the years, I've preached to hundreds, I guess, add them all up, thousands of people. But I started by teaching the Bible to three, four, five middle school boys. And it was nine years later before I became a pastor. So, start small. Secondly, to do something big, you take the next step. You start small, the next step is probably small, and the next step is probably small. So, he traveled there, he surveyed, he shared his vision with the uh, leaders of the town. But something else is going to happen that we talked about last week. Next verse, immediately. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard our plans. They scoffed contemptuously. That's quite a <laughs> big term. Scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Or what do you think you're doing? You're rebelling against the king. Are you rebelling against the king, Dea? Now, he hadn't told, he had, they hadn't heard that he had the king's permission. So we talked about that last week in that trusting God's process, there's predictable resistance. So Nehemiah, if he didn't know ahead of time, he soon found out. I think he knew ahead of time. That's why he secretly went out at night to look at the walls. There's going to be resistance. I don't know how resistance um, Samaritan's Purse has with giving these shoeboxes out. I know some places they can't do it. There's restrictions on there. I don't know how many restrictions or resistance came uh, from starting this church. But you can be guaranteed, as I said last week, if you're doing something God wants you to do, you have an enemy that's going to resist. And it's a good sign. It's a sign that you're on the right track. <clears throat> so, Nehemiah, I replied to these people. They're pushing back. The God of heaven will help us succeed. We are servants. We'll start rebuilding the wall. The start. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. And I assume that's accurate. He had the legal right from the king to do what he was going to do. So, trusting God's process, we also talked about uncommon confidence. Now, it's amazing with Nehemiah, right? We don't know how much experience he had with this kind of thing. He just knew this. God wanted him to do. He shared his vision, and the people caught on. So, you too, I too, we need to take a step and have confidence is what God wants us to do, whether it's become a pastor, uh, start a church, uh, do a ministry, some of you in children's ministry, some of you in other ministries, whatever it might be. How do you become more like Jesus? Well, for example, study God's Word. I came across a statistic that many of you, people in church, don't read God's Word on a regular basis. Um, I'm trying to think of some way to encourage you folks to do it more. Um, but okay, you want to be more like Jesus? Start reading His Word. Start studying it. 
Uh, talked about this last week, uh, or week before. Hang out with people that are Jesus followers. Have confidence that it'll happen. And thirdly, how do you do something big? Start small, take this next step. And this is a, kind of a no-brainer. But most of you know, and I've, done, I've ran these 50-mile races. Actually, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm not, I don't do it anymore. But people ask me, how do you run 50 miles in a day? And this was always my answer. I just didn't give up. Right? Except for the last time, I, my knee gave out. If you just keep going, eventually you get to mile 50. Whatever that burden God has given you, if you don't get up, give up, you finally get there. The building gets built. Now the ministry, the boxes get, get, get spread out. Whatever it might be. So, back to Nehemiah. If we back up, we're going to find out they started building in August. They started rebuilding the wall. Uh, there's, a, there's a two missing from the text. So on October 2, or the October 2nd, the wall was finished. How do I know it was August? Because it says 52 days after we had begun. Now, to me, this is mind-boggling. Um, to rebuild those walls in 52 days today would be difficult. And we talk about um, the resistance they got. It got to the place where half the people had to stand guard while the other half actually built the walls, rebuilt the walls. So after it was finished, what happens? Our enemies and surrounding nations heard They were frightened and humiliated. Frightened because these folks serving their God were able to do an amazing thing. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, was the work finished? The wall was built. Was the work finished, though? No, the work wasn't finished. The, uh, the uh, I guess you say, the infrastructure of the city had to be rebuilt. The temple had to be rebuilt. Point being, are we ever finished? No matter what God's burden he gives you. No, we never finished. I, think, I thought about parenting. For one thing, how many of you have taken a parenting class before you were a parent? Now, eventually you realize, I don't know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> and so you take parenting classes. But we had a kid, we didn't know what to do with it. Josh shows up and, you know, my wife babysitted, babysitted people as, uh, you know, as a teenager. Um, but you kind of learn on the fly. But um, do you ever finish being a parent? Kids grow up and leave home. Sometimes they come back, but anyway, they leave home. But you never finish being a parent. You're never finished being a follower of Jesus. Your burden may change. Um, the smaller task may be finished, but the bigger task is never finished. I love this quote from St. Francis of Assisi. Start doing what's necessary. You see something needs to be done, has to be done. You start doing that. Then what's possible? And suddenly, you're doing the impossible. Building the walls of Jerusalem. Passing out millions of shoeboxes. Uh, continue having a ministry 
uh, in Smithsburg, a church, a daycare in Smithsburg, whatever it might be. There's a verse that makes reference to this, and we're just about finished. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Don't get weary about doing what is good. My wife got home yes, last night after ministering with kids in the afternoon and evening. She was tired. Is she going to give up children's ministry? I don't think so. No, okay, just checking. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And she was sharing about one of the children with me, the uh, progress, you might say. Uh, one other thing before we finish. What will happen once you trust God's process? First, God will break you. God will break you. Whether it's, you know, calling to the ministry, whether to be start a church, whatever it might be. I was reading this through the New Testament, and these two guys go to, go to church. One of them's this really religious guy, and one's this, this tax collector, this terrible sinner. And uh, the one guy stands up and says, thank you, God, that I, you know, I do all these religious things, and thank you that I'm not a terrible sinner like this other guy. <laughs> and the other guy, his heart was broken, and he couldn't even stand up, and he, and he was prostrate on the, on the floor, and he said, I'm a sinner, God, please forgive me. And then Jesus asked the question, who went home forgiven, justified? It wasn't a religious guy. He wasn't broken, was he? It was a guy that was broken. So God needs to break us. And then secondly, we'll overestimate what God's going to do in the short term, underestimate in the long term. I remember when I started preaching. Small congregation, most of the people there were believers, and I would preach my heart out that somebody got saved that Sunday. And we used to walk down the aisle then, and nobody walked down the aisle. And I would do it again the next week, expecting somebody to walk down the aisle. And eventually somebody walked down the aisle, but not every week somebody walked down that aisle. And eventually, uh, I got to think about this the other day. That church was about 30 people, and it was, when we started, six years later, it was about 70 people. Congregation almost over doubled in our time that we were there at our first church. And when I think about this church, I've been here a long time. Can't imagine, thinking back, how many lives have been touched, lives changed, just because some group of people were faithful and many people have been faithful over the years. So, next step, dream big. Dream God's dream. Start small. Take the next step. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. I thank you for the journey you've brought me through. I thank you for the burdens that you've given me, being in the ministry, to be a pastor, be a missionary, to pastor here, and lots of others. Uh, God, we thank you that you are interested, you desire for things to be different, to be better, and that you put burdens on different ones of us. Those that you trust will actually do something. But Father, I thank you for those that you have trusted and they've trusted you to accomplish what's been accomplished. And we pray as we move forward that, that those burdens will continue, the work will continue, and you will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.